Good morning, everyone. Hope you're doing well on this Sunday morning. I'm actually recording this Friday morning here at Kurt Gowdy. Um, beautiful day, lots of people out hiking and mountain biking. And so if you pick up any other noise, it's going to be people having fun out here. It's pretty cool to see so many people out enjoying some sunny days, especially with the amount of time we've been cooped up in our homes. Um, and it's great to know that in the next coming weeks, things are opening up. Um, it's been quite a blessing to be able to be part of a, a community uh, call with some disaster response people a couple times a week and to see that here in Wyoming we're doing really well. Um, when you look at the nationwide statistics, I mean a couple months ago when this all started they are predicting millions of people dead and now those numbers are a fraction of that and although every life um, is precious and as image bearers of God we know that deep in our bones um, the fear and the anxiety that was kind of stirring around our world a couple months ago seems to be ebbing and I, I pray that that would continue um, as more and more people are tested and we see what's going on and more and more data comes in and uh, we need to continue to pray for our leaders to make wise decisions to keep us safe but also um, to help us get back to um, being the resilient people that we are. Um, I know several people watching this have been through lots of tragedies in their lives when it, whether it's through wars and world wars and conflicts and um, natural disasters and over and over and over again um, God puts in us a fortitude and a resilience to keep fighting back and to help our neighbors as we would help ourselves and so that's been quite a, a joy to me to see our community help each other out. This last week um, there were two babies at, uh, at Children's Hospital. Um, the Martins welcomed baby Ben into the world and he had to go down and um, get some help at Children's Hospital and he's doing terrific. He's um, recovering well and um, baby Jane made it through surgery beautifully and she is strong and stubborn and she's doing great and it's been pretty terrific to see how our church has rallied around both these families and supported them in the midst of all the stuff that's going on in our world. Um, we still have a compassion to take care of the people that we love and to help people in our community. And so I'm just thankful to be a part of a church that does that. So thank you all for being amazing. Um, I wanted to take a, a bit of a detour this week um, after the suggestion of a great friend and elder that maybe it was be good to jump into a little off topic um, from Revelation. So we're breaking away from Revelation for maybe a couple weeks leading into Mother's Day and then we'll pick back up for the last few chapters. Um, so today we're going to be in Mark chapter 4 where Jesus calms the storm and I thought it was quite appropriate during the time that we're in right now um, with people beginning to come out of the quarantine that we could take a look back over the last couple weeks and maybe examine our hearts and where we were anxious. Uh, maybe we needed to have given that to the Lord and maybe we we're still anxious that we need to find some hope in the midst of all of this. And so I thought it was appropriate as we talk about Jesus calming the storm to be out here um, looking over Granite Lake and that we can um, see a small fraction of some water around us as we talk about the Sea of Galilee and the storm that raged there. So I want to pray for us and then we will take a look at this passage. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time that we have together to be in your word. And I know, Lord, it's still odd to be doing this via video um, instead of being together in church, but I know that that's coming soon, that as we see more and more people recovering and doing well, um, then we can begin to make plans to come together as a church family. And man, is it going to be a party. Even if we won't be able to 
maybe shake hands and take communion like we've always done. Things will have to be a little different, but it'll be great to see everybody's face. And so until then, Lord, I pray that you'll help us to continue the course, that we would keep ourselves safe, keep our community safe, help the people around us, um, and that we would long for time together with our church family. But I'm also thankful, Lord, for this time to draw closer to you, that through the quiet times and through the times of solitude, um, it's been really refreshing to have your word to have your presence, to know that you hear my prayers even when I'm not in a church building, and that has been a blessing. So help me, Lord, um, to continue to seek to be closer to you, to abide in you with every part of my life, and that when I feel anxious or when I feel um, a little off, that I would trust you to help me through that. Help us stay on the path to your heart, Lord. It's where we belong. In Jesus' name, amen. So I came out to Kurt Gowdy and I brought my bow and I shot a little bit and trying to, you know, stay ready for elk season and for things coming up in the fall. And it's pretty um, therapeutic and for me to throw some arrows and to focus and you have to really kind of pay attention to what's happening in that split second and not let my head be filled with so many things um, and so many worries and so many um, struggles and I don't have to let that stuff creep in. And so I pray that uh, we could all find those things that help us to put a focus on the here and now and to not worry so much about the past and not to worry about so much of the future, but instead to be present. And so this story we're going to look at today is a story where Jesus um, helps us to see that in the present crises, we trust him no matter what. And that the God that can calm the storm is the God that can calm the storm that's in your heart. And so um, we will look at this first of historical accounts. When you go through the Gospel of Mark, um, this is the first of him proving that he is God in flesh. Over and over, he, there's already been many miracles. We pick up the story where Jesus has done a lot of miracles. The crowds have surrounded him, and he's seeking a place of rest. And so he gets in a boat, and he takes off across the Sea of Galilee, and a storm rises up. But you need to know that this is in a series. In chapters 4 and 5, this is the one that shows that he has authority over nature. And then he's going to show us that he has authority over demons, over sickness, and over death. Um, in the next, in chapters 4 and 5 of the Gospel of Mark. And the Gospel of Mark is one of my, well, I like all the Gospels, but I really like the Gospel of Mark. It's short, it's sweet, it's to the point. Um, it's really, the whole Gospel of Mark is to prove that God came to serve as God in flesh, Jesus, but also that the Gospel of Mark and everything you see in the Gospel of Mark is proving who Jesus is, that he is God. And so when we jump into verse 35 of chapter 4, we see this picture of Jesus has just left um, speaking and preaching and helping and performing miracles, and then he's tired. So that helps us to see part of his humanity, but it also helps us to see um, his divinity. And that's the beautiful thing about Jesus, that God in flesh, God with us, is always here for us. And so Peter, we know that the Gospel of Mark is Peter's eyewitness testimony, recorded by John Mark, who you see him pop up at the end of the Gospel of Mark. But this is the eyewitness account from Peter, the apostle. And so it's, there's very specific details um, that only someone who was there would know. That would be the recording of this event. And so Peter mentions the time of day, when it exactly happened. He mentions the cushion on the boat. Jesus didn't just lay down on a boat. There was a cushion there. He mentions the place where he slept in the stern. He mentions these areas. Um, and then he talks about the less flattering part about the disciples that they were caught up in fear and um, they were terrified. And so 
it just proves over and over and over again that the Gospels aren't just made up things, but they are eyewitness accounts and that you aren't going to paint yourself in a picture of fear um, unless it really happened and you're just humbly writing what really happened in that moment. And that's what we see happening here. So we will start chapter 4, verse 35. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, this is Jesus, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took with them in the boat just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? So this, this story that we see here um, in, of this account of Jesus calming the storm, it's very much a mirror of what we see in Jonah. That it's a mirror of this furious squall, a great windstorm shows up and appears. And so Jonah is at the sea. He flees to the ocean. And this great windstorm happens at the Sea of Galilee, which is a giant um, lake. And so you, we have here, like at Kurt Gowdy, if you've ever been out here, you know how the wind's blowing around right now. I'm not sure if it's going to pick up on this mic. Um, but there's a storm that's supposed to come in this afternoon that's going to have hail and clouds. And we're not sure how much wind, 40, 50 mile an hour winds. And so we know living here in Wyoming that those storms happen fast. Last night at the house, there would be Thursday night, um, there was about a two-hour period where the wind just picked up and blew like crazy, and then it all calmed down. And that can happen in a lot of places. In the geography of Israel, especially around Galilee, there's, there's several mountain ranges. There's the way the winds come across the Mediterranean, and there's these giant squalls can just show up at the Sea of Galilee. Um, last year, Amber and I were able to be on a boat on the Sea of Galilee, and it was amazing. And um, you could tell, that, I mean, it's so huge that if a windstorm came through there, it could be very dangerous. The water would pick up and come over the tops of boats. Um, these boats that they, they used weren't giant fishing trawler boats that you see and all the stuff coming out of Alaska and everything. Um, the water could easily, if the waves were whipping, would come up over the top. But this beer of looking in the, in the book of Jonah in chapter 1, a great life-threatening storm shows up. Um, the main character sleeping in spite of the violence. He's awakened by the frightened crew looking for help. And there is immediate stop of the divine, of, because of divine intervention of the storm. And awe and fear happened in Jonah. But we all know what they did to Jonah. They threw him overboard. And so we see that Jesus is the better Jonah. We see that Jesus is, um, he's God because they don't throw him overboard. They don't have, but the same kind of things happen. A, a, a thunderstorm happens, a storm, a squall, hurricane force winds pop up. The crew is terrified. They go to wake up the sleeping person and Jonah gets tossed and Jesus calms the storm. And so you see some parallels here to where Jonah had no power over these things because um, he's not God. Jesus is God. And so we see um, very quickly this picture unfold to where it starts of a time of rest, a time of peace, a time of sleep, to a time of fear, and then to a time of awe. And God is at the center of all of it in flesh, in Jesus. 
So when it says, on that day when evening had come, he said to them, let's go across to the other side. Um, and they say to him, like, what, what are you doing here? What's going on? Like, come on, Jesus, the storm's happening. He's in this boat. He's looking for rest. Um, but that helps us to see the humanity and the divinity of Jesus in this one story. He's tired. He is worn out. He has poured himself out. He's come to serve, as Mark chapter 10 tells us, that he came to be a servant, not to be served. And he's pouring out of himself, and he is exhausted. That even though he's God in flesh, he's prone to the tiredness that our weary bodies can have. And so he takes a nap. He's exhausted. And the storm pops up. He's sleeping through it. He has a calmness that's over him. But the crew, his disciples, are freaking out. They're freaking out. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? So once he's in on the boat, he immediately falls asleep. And they're sailing to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and this storm pops up. Um, But there's a crucial detail we often forget is that Jesus led them into this storm. He led them right, I mean, of course he knew this was going to happen. He's God in flesh. He led them right into the storm. Um, It's not an accident. It didn't catch God off, doesn't catch God off guard. Just like what we're dealing with right now in the world with the virus. This doesn't catch God off guard. It's not like he's up there in heaven, just kind of, well, he took a nap and he doesn't know. And all of a sudden a virus pops up. This doesn't take God by surprise at all. And neither have any of the other pandemics that have hit the planet. It doesn't surprise him. And so God isn't asleep at the wheel. He knows these things. He knows our cries. He knows what's happening. He knows the cries of the disciples. He knows that they're upset. He knows these things. But he has a, a lesson to teach them in this moment. That everything here is for a reason being given to them, just as things are being allowed by God for us. And it's for us to take the time to spend with God, His Word, our friends in the church, and to figure out what God is saying to us in these times. What's He saying to us through this? Jesus repeatedly teaches, or the Bible teaches us constantly that God is fully man and fully God, that he got hungry, he gets angry, he cries, he died, and now we see him sleeping. That he's going to die on the cross and be resurrected. He gets tired like us, but he's not like us because he's God. That's what makes him able to be related to, that we can love him as a brother and as a friend because he's near to us. He's, He's dealt with the same kind of pains and fears that we deal with, but he deals with them in a perfect way as the Son of God. And so they question his love and concern for them. The disciples think, well, don't you love us? Don't you care for us? You're sleeping. You're just napping. They're really upset. And they'd seen him do miracles. They saw him cast out uh, to do uh, essentially an exorcism, get a demon out of it. They've seen these things happen. They know that he is not just this teacher, but they're not quite ready to say that he's God in flesh. Um, And so this whole moment is being set up for Jesus to prove that he's God. And so the disciples are pretty upset. They're frustrated by what appears to be indifference. It appears that that Jesus just doesn't care. And I think a lot of times that's how we react to the things that happen around us, whether it's job loss, loss of life, um, things that come our way. I think sometimes we we look to the heavens and we cry out to God, do you even care? Do you even care? Um, And instead of exhibiting faith and trust in God, that we might not see what he's doing, we might not understand what's happening, um, it turns to a frustrated place of, 
I don't think you even love me. Do you even really love me, God? Do you even know what's happening right in front of your face? And of course he does. Of course he does. And so they're frustrated. They're upset. They're a little terrified. They're scared. They feel like their hope has left them. There's no way to deal with this. Everything is lost. And so they go to Jesus and they shake him. Don't you even care? They didn't wake him up and say, hey, help us bail the boat out. Hey, help us. They went to him and said, do you not even care? So they knew that he wasn't just a man, but they couldn't quite put their finger on how different he really was. Verse 39, and he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. There are two, wor- two verbs here in this passage that were also seen in Mark chapter 1, um, verse 25. The first verb is epitomeo, which means to rebuke. And the second verb is, I'm going to get it wrong, but I'm going to try, phimu, which means to muzzle or be quiet. That was used in the exorcism in Mark 1.25. And so a lot of people, and I, I kind of think this too, that Jesus' words bring they bring order to chaos and peace and safety from this danger. That I don't know that this was necessarily just a storm of clouds rolling by like we have here. But this was a spiritual storm um, because often in the Bible we see uh, evil being seen as a storm. And that in the storms is where evil exists. And so for Jesus to stand up and say, peace be still, he ends the onslaught. He ends the evil. This is very much like when he tells, um, he refuses the temptations of Satan. He refuses to give in to temptation because he's God. And so we see this here on the storm that this storm is raging, that they think they're all going to die. And he stands up and says, peace be, he rebukes the storm. Like storms shouldn't happen. This shouldn't happen. And so people look at two different theories. One, that this kind of storms that would cause death and despair are from a fallen world, a broken world, broken by sin, by Adam and Eve. And then we also see that perhaps storms come from the enemy, that these enemies come. And that tends to be how I try to wrap my head around when cancer, disease, sickness, that all those things hit, that's either part of the broken world or it could be an attack from the enemy. And regardless of where those land, and I'm not smart enough to tell you which ones are which, but wherever those land, Jesus stands up in this this boat and says, be calm, quiet. He muzzles whether this is a, a part of sin from a broken world that lets storms exist on our planet in a broken planet, or this is a spiritual warfare coming at the disciples, he ends it. Now, only God can do that, whether it's from the sinful place or it's from the natural disaster from broken world place. Only God can do that. And we know um, that only God is, we call it three, he's, he's omniscient. He's omniscient, he knows all things, he's omnipresent, he al- he's always existent, he's omnipotent, he's all-powerful. Only God could stop a storm. Only God can heal sin. Only God can take the payment of sin from a broken world. So regardless of this being either a a part of the fallenness of the planet or an attack from the outside, God is the one who calms that storm. Jesus, God in flesh, calms the storm. Charles Spurgeon said, um, the prince of preachers from England, said, God is too wise to err, too good to be unkind. Leave off doubting him and begin to trust him. For in doing so, you will put a crown on his head. That instead of 
raising our fists to the heavens. How could you do this? Why would you allow this? We should instead trust that whatever's happening, he has it. He has it under control. He has it. He understands. He's there with us. He's there right with us in the midst of our doubt, in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our wondering what's next. God is right there with us. Verse 40, he said to them, so he's quieted the storm, the storm is done, and he turns to the disciples. So they're frustrated, they're upset. He then takes care of the issue, and then he turns for this teaching moment, which is the beauty of this passionate love that that Jesus has for the disciples. He says to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? He, He didn't even address the storm, the wave, the boat, it, this it tells us that this was about faith, which is why I will lean that this was a spiritual attack from the enemy. Um, but I think it could go either way, but that's where I lean. And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? So they were frustrated and terrified, thought they were going to die. The storm is over and then Jesus addresses them. And then they're filled with great fear. They, they don't know what to think of this. Who is this in their midst? Who is this that the wind and sea obey him? They're finally getting in their hearts stirring, this is God. This, this isn't just a prophet. This isn't just a miracle worker. This isn't just a good teacher. Oh boy, this is God. And they're, they don't know what to do. They don't know how to react. And to think that they were with him every day of his public ministry, and they didn't see it, um, it gives me a little bit of hope that when I don't see it, when sometimes I'm doubtful, when sometimes I'm not sure what to do, um, I'm just like everybody else. Um, but then it also drives me to, to love the beauty of the Word because I don't have to, to try to wonder. I just go read the beauty of the Word of God, and I know I know for sure that he's king, that he's for me, that he loves me, and that he will get me through whatever comes my way. The disciples expected, Jesus had expected them to understand um, how to trust him more. And remember, faith and trust are pretty much interchangeable in the Bible. So when when Jesus says, um, do you still, have you still no faith? It's it's a deeper person, don't you trust me? Don't you trust me? You've seen all this work we've done. We're crossing the Sea of Galilee. Don't you trust that I would take care of you and everything? And that would be the question I would ask all of us. As we profess faith in Christ, as we trust him for the salvation of our souls, we trust him with our eternities in heaven, we can trust him through everything that's happening right now, through businesses, through um, the economy, through sickness, through illness, through the fear that we can trust him for everything, even toilet paper. We can trust him for everything. He's going to get us through it. It might not be easy, and he might not take away the pain, and he might not take away all of the fear, but he's there right with us. And if we would just give ourselves over to him in an ever-increasing way, he'll calm that storm in our hearts. Uh... So to contrast between the disciples and us, the disciples are watching all this happen as it's unfolding in real time. And so as Peter's giving us this account, he's remembering exactly what happened just a few years removed from the event happening. We have the beauty of 2,000 years of God's word 
giving us all of this evidence. We have 2,000 years of testimony of the church, of people staying strong in the midst of every disaster, where the writing of hymns over people's families drowning at sea, the, the telling of the stories of faithfulness in the midst of being in a foxhole in World War II or being blown up in Afghanistan. The 9-11, the towers fell and the country comes together and professes a, a closer desire to know God and then the calamity passes and then people go back to just trusting themselves. And so I guess my big push for all of us is will we trust God more in the storm after all of the world has gone back to work, after we're all out here enjoying everything that God has created for us, will we continue to just be filled with doubt or will we trust God through every storm that we have? Because he's all that we have. Um, when this is over, there's going to be another storm. When this is over, it's coming. That's a, it's a consistency of life. But the only thing that's also consistent right along with this broken world is the promise that Jesus will get us through it all and he'll be with us forever. We know Jesus is all-powerful and he's all-knowing. We know that he's taking care of all of our sin on the cross. We know he rose from the dead and we know he can be trusted no matter what. The disciples didn't know all that. We know all that. We have the evidence. We have the proof. We have the, the consistency of the testimony of the church. We know all these things. So we're better off. We're better off than the disciples in that boat fearing for their lives because we know. The atheist Bertrand Russell, who died in 1970, he was asked what would he say to God if he discovered upon his death that God existed and he was wrong his whole life. And here's a quote from him. His response was, I will say not enough evidence, God, not enough evidence. So here's an atheist at the end of his life, and the question is posed, if you found out right as you're, about, right as you're dying that God is real, um, what would you say to him? Instead of hu humbly falling on his knees, humbly submitting his life, he would say, you just didn't give me enough evidence. And I would counter that to say that that excuse isn't good enough. The evidence is overwhelming. Um, and the time to settle that argument is now. So in the midst of all the stuff that we're dealing with and all the things in our community and our world, um, now's the time. Now is the time to put our full trust in God for everything. The evidence is clear. He's proven himself over and over and over again. We have the testimony of the church, the testimony of our family and friends who've put their lives in the hands of Christ, and it's time. So for those who are watching this, um, I just want you to know that if you haven't put your faith in Christ yet, that when God brings us to the end of ourselves, I don't know what to do, I don't know how to function, I'm not sure what's going to happen, that's when we're driven to Him and to Him alone as our Savior and our Rescuer. And if you have not professed a faith in Him before, then I would, I would ask you to respond to the stirring that happens in your heart, that you would put your faith and trust in Jesus. That, he, that you would fall in love with the one who loves you more than you can imagine. And it doesn't mean you have to have it all figured out. It doesn't mean you have to have all the answers. It doesn't mean you have to be some Bible expert because that's surely not the case. What it means is you take a step towards the truth that you're loved by the creator of the universe and you take a step towards admitting that you can't control your life, that you aren't in charge of everything 
and that you want him to guide you, that you're going to trust him, that you're going to trust him. And I pray that you would begin to respond to that stirring of your heart. It's the Holy Spirit talking to you, and that you would profess a faith in him, and then you would begin to grow in faith and knowledge of the one who saved you. And for those of us who have been walking with Christ for a while, um, I pray that this, the story of this storm, as Jesus calmed this storm, that we would be the agents of sharing that story. That even though people around are maybe a little scared, maybe a little um, worried, that we know that we trust Christ for everything and that you can be beacons of hope, that you wouldn't constantly post fear things on social media, that when you talk to people, it wouldn't be out of this place of terrible um, ideas and, and visions of things that you don't really even understand, but instead you would have a rock-solid faith that says, I might not have it all figured out. I might not understand what's happening around the world, and I'm sure glad I'm not a world leader making these big decisions, but what I do know for certain that no matter what is going on in the world, Jesus is right by my side. He will take care of me through everything, no matter what, and I will trust him for every part of my life. That's the testimony of the church, that no matter what happens, we trust. And so I want to pray for us, and then we'll see if the storm actually blows in in the middle of a prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful that we can put our trust in you no matter what, that you are faithful now and forever. And I pray, Lord, that as you show us in your word, you show us through the testimony of the people that are around us, and especially the church, you'll help us to see that we can trust you with everything. That when we're fearful, when doubts creep in, when we watch way too much 24-hour news and the anxiety can build, that we would take a break, we would pause, take a deep breath, feel your presence, and know that we're going to be okay. Whether you get us through this storm or you take us home in the middle of the storm, we know that you'll calm us. You've proven that by going to the cross for us. You've proven that by always being faithful to your children. So I pray, Lord, that we would trust you because of your faithfulness. Help us. Help us, Lord. We love you. Amen. Hope you all have a great week, and I pray, Lord, I pray, Lord, I pray that you all would grow in your faith in Christ and that you will grow to trust him and that you would see the anxiety ebb and instead you'd be filled with joy. God bless.